since we are talking about gas prices, I found a fairly interesting article that's kind of making its ways around. Okay, let us have it. This is a Newsweek article posted on March 19th. Competitors sue gas station for setting prices too low. Yeah, I wouldn't think that that would be uh, smiled upon. Or is it opposite? Frowned upon? It's frowned upon. Legal even. Amid historic gas prices nationwide, several stations are taking drastic action against a competitor keeping prices considerably low. Several competing stations in the area, around Woodman's Market in Waukesha, Wisconsin, have filed a lawsuit against the location alleging that it's selling gasoline below cost. According to the local ABC news affiliate, WISN, the locations claim that this is in violation of Wisconsin's Unfair Sales Act, which I have no idea what that is, but it sounds like that's kind of meant as like an anti-monopoly law, but they're using it to keep everything as a monopoly. Not a monopoly, an oligopoly. A monopoly of several groups. Sounds like it. I could see that getting more sales overall. Yeah, if, if gas prices are lower, yes, they get busier. Yeah, they're going to get lineups. Court documents obtained by WISN name companies that operate near BP and Shell gas stations as plaintiffs in the case. Both are demanding $80,000 in restitution, an amount based on the 40 days they claim Woodman's has been keeping prices too low. As of Saturday, the average price for a gallon of gasoline in Wisconsin was around $3.93, and according to the data from AAA. Woodman's currently offers gas at $3.59 a gallon, based on listings Newsweek acquired from Gas Buddy. BP and Shell locations in Waukesha listed prices of $3.89 to $3.99. Membership-only retailers like Costco and Sam's Club are often able to set much lower gas prices at their on-site stations when compared to standard gas stations in their area. They're able to charge so little because around 75% of their profits come from subscription costs. Ah, Similar to Costco, Woodman's is a regional chain of grocery stores that offers gas on-site but is not membership So I just find it hilarious that the lawsuits are people are selling gas for too low. Yeah, well, I guess you know who's calling the shots because they can't just set them low. Remember, when gas goes up, it seems to just go up with every single gas station at exactly the same time. There's collusion behind the scenes that unfortunately nobody will actually regulate. Oh yeah, that's something. I wish I knew more about it. I don't know if I really do. Maybe I do. I mean, we could definitely do an episode on that. How gas stations set their pricing. We could do it on actually confirmed price fixing. Mm. Uh, There is actually quite a few that have happened. LCD screens in Korea had that. Superstore had bread price fixing for a while. Brought to you by Pete Buttigieg, yeah. I'm going to add it. There's a couple more, but that's just the ones off the top of my head that I can think of. Of course, gas back in the day when it was Standard Oil. Was that who Rockefeller was? I can't, I don't know who they were. I only know the name Rockefeller. And and everything got split up because he basically was just one big monopoly fixing prices. Also, he got there for means, one of the great robber barons. (gasps) Robert Baron. I just said Robert Baron. Robber. That would be a great name for a fantasy show about like robber barons. Yeah. (laughs) That's interesting to know. We need more of them. What are they called again? Woodman's? Yeah, Woodman's. We need one. I guess it's a regional grocery store there. I'd go there. We actually just got a new Costco in Kelowna that has a gas bar. It is constantly packed. And it is yeah, always... Yeah, Costco open. gas bars always are. Always. It's because they're six cents a liter cheaper, which would be, I don't know, like 20 cents a gallon, something like that. Oil prices are coming down, so eventually we should see gas prices go down too. But of course, supply and demand doesn't actually apply to gas. Which I know nothing about, as I just said. Anyhow, let's get on to the bigger and better things. Okay, let's do it. From the unexplained to the mundane, why don't you come join us on our journey to the fringe? Hello and welcome to Journey to the Fringe, the most widely recommended podcast by podcast hosts that I was able to pull. Yeah, it was fairly popular among the poll. Gotta love those poll numbers. Yeah. Anyhow, today we are going to be talking about school and in a very roundabout way. Now, schools are a place where we go for education, generally not on the fringe topics. But Chelsea and I both have stories where students went to school that day and got an education on strange and paranormal that they were not prepared for and is probably the most educational day in their lives. 
Yeah, street smarts. Full street smarts. I guess you could call it a different kind of street smarts. Yes. We're each going to describe our story, I think answer some questions about it, and then leave it vague. Always do. I'm excited. Without further ado, I'm going to talk about the Westall UFO sighting. Westall, I had to look up where it was. It is in Australia. Chelsea, I need you to pull up a map of Australia really quick, just to make sure that my description I'm about to give of where it is would be discernible by other people. Okay. So pull up a map of Australia. Oh, I just Googled Westall. Okay, we need all, no, Australia. all of Australia. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now picture Australia as a deformed dolphin diving down on... <laughs> food that is deformed to Tasmania. Got it. It's got the two dorsal fins on top and it's got that little freakishly nubby fin off the bottom. Now just in the armpit of that fin, Westall, Australia. I think I have it here. Now let me see if I got it. Hold on. You got it. Look at that. Nailed it. I had to do some looking at it, but I'm pretty sure no one's ever described it that way, but it perfectly encapsulates the shape of Australia. I got it perfectly from that. I need to figure out what that Tasmania is that it's diving down to consume. Probably radioactive material. No, no, that's still its beak. It just has a break in its beak. Okay. You see what I'm saying? And then it's got two bone fragments attached with it. Yeah, that, <laughs> exactly. It's not perfect. Westall is in the province of South Australia. I think that's what they have down in Australia, right? Provinces? Or are they territories? You're testing me on things I didn't research again. Damn it. I can't remember. Provinces? I, I can't talk. I'm guessing. Yeah. Anyhow, it's in South Australia. It's basically the middle of South Australia. It's kind of the middle of nowhere on a beach. And like the closest big town to it is Adelaide, which is an eight hour drive away. Oh my God. Anything that's not like Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane is like <laughs> in the middle of nowhere in Australia. Like how far away is Melbourne from Adelaide? Well, if it's eight hours from Westall, it's over eight hours. So Adelaide to Melbourne is another eight hours. So like the closest really big Australian city is 16 hours by car. Are we talking flying or hitchhiking or walking? Driving. Okay, okay, driving. Considerably more by foot. Westall, fairly small, insignificant town, except for something that occurred there on April 6th of 1966. I'm just going to go with the simplest explanation here. Uh, Wikipedia has a very short intro paragraph of what happened here. I'm going to go with that, and then I'm going to get into more detail. At approximately 11 a.m. on Wednesday, April 6th, 1966, between 100 and 200 students and teachers from Westall High School, now Westall Secondary College, reported seeing a flying object described as gray or silvery green saucer-shaped craft with a slight purple hue and about twice the size of a family car. According to the students, the object was descending, overflew the high school, and disappeared behind a stand of trees. Approximately 20 minutes later, the object reportedly reappeared, climbed at speeds, and departed towards the northwest. Some accounts describe the object as being pursued by five unidentified aircrafts. What was it doing for 20 minutes? That's a good question. Anyhow, that's its very vague explanation. It's actually a bad Wikipedia article compared to what you can find out there. Okay. Although I always think it's the best place to start. It is pretty much. As much as I'd hate to say that, I said it. Yeah, this is actually, you can watch an episode, I believe it's called Top Secret UFO or something like that on Netflix. It has an episode on just this event. So there surprisingly is more than just a paragraph, and I'm going to actually get to that. I read an interview by a Shane Ryan. He's an English lecturer at the University of Canberra. This was on theage.com.au, and he's been going through and trying to collect all of the interviews he can with everybody who witnessed to kind of get a better idea of what actually happened that day. He's been involved in a lot of the documentaries and episodes of things that are, take place about this. On the UFO, everyone seems to agree, Mr. Ryan says. It was a low-flying silver gray shining object, either of classical flying saucer shape or close to it. A cup turned upside down on a saucer, some students said. The students were familiar with light aircrafts because the schools were close to Moorabin Airport. Although the UFO was a similar size, everyone said straight away that they knew it was not a plane. The object was in view for up to 20 minutes and many saw it descend. Most agree it landed behind pine trees at the Grange Reserve. Dozens of students ran across what was then an open paddock to the reserve to investigate, but the object had lifted off and vanished. Other details are sketchier. Yoko appears to have left 
the circle, the scorched grass. Others say several circles were left in the paddock bordering Grand Treserve. Many witnesses, not all, report seeing aircrafts, up to five, trailing the UFO. Some say it made no noise, others say it did. Many reported that police, Air Force, military personnel inspected the site. Some, not all, say the authorities burnt the site. The Dandenong Journal, for which the story was front page news two weeks in a row, reported that students and staff have been instructed to talk to no one about the incident. Nevertheless, one teacher, Andrew Greenwood, gave the paper a detailed account. And we're actually going to keep talking about Greenwood in just a bit. I'm just going to finish this up. Okay. It was silvery gray and seemed to thicken at times, he said. Thickening was similar to when a disc is turned a little to show the underside. One of the closest witnesses was a boy whose family leased land at Grand Reserve before. Sean Matthews, not a student at Westall, was on holidays and spending time on the land. I saw the thing come across the horizon and drop down behind the pine trees, he told the Sunday Age this week. I couldn't tell you what it was. It certainly wasn't a light aircraft or anything like it. I saw the thing drop down behind the pine trees and saw it leave again. Couldn't tell you how long it was there for. It was such a long time ago. Mr. Matthews, now 51 and living in Greenvale, said the object went up and off very, very rapidly. I went over. There was a circle in the clearing. It looked like it had been cooked or boiled, not burnt as I remember, he said. A heap of kids from Westall Primary and High School came charging through to see what happened. Look at this, look at that. We saw it as well, that sort of thing. It was a bit of talking point for a couple days. Mr. Matthews said the object about the size of two family cars passed him at a distance of about four football fields. It was silvery, but it had a sort of purple hue to it. Very bright, but not bright enough that you couldn't look at it. I thought that it dropped down behind the tree. I thought, hello, hang on. A minute or so later, it went straight up, just gone. He said police and other officials interviewed his mother, but he cannot remember them burning the landing site, as others have alleged. He did not see any light aircrafts trailing the object, as others did. The way this thing moved, there's no way it could have been a weather balloon or a light aircraft, he said. A helicopter? No way. No noise, wrong shape, and it didn't move like it. It came out of the distance, stopped, and then dropped. It didn't just sort of cruise and then slightly descend at an angle, it just stopped stopped dropped and then went straight up and then Andrew Greenwood who I spoke about a little earlier he was a teacher at the high school at the time he's gone on record and done a couple interviews this is kind of one from mirror the time so I'm just going to kind of go through that okay the things that are seen by the UFO are they supposed to be like government airplanes or other UFOs how I understood it they were either government or military aircrafts that's what I was thinking the first time you explained it but then I second guessed myself the second time they showed up because you also said it wasn't making noise yeah and i'm fairly certain that it's well i don't know if they all didn't make noise problem is, is most of the sightings are by kids like mm-hmm. either just they're not cool they called it year seven i believe sorry year nine so i think that's grade nine but i don't know for sure i was just gonna say are they nine years old or in grade nine australians so who knows in which case they're not really kids they would know if it like there's an airplane they're making sound okay yeah but at the same time like all these kids are talking in their classes and you know it's getting talked up and things added to it possibly true so andrew greenwood who taught science to your nine students at westall detailed attempts made to silence him and how he was contacted by someone at the very top of the u.s government okay an american physicist known for his research into ufos dr james e mcdonald conducted an interview with a science teacher from westall school andrew greenwood who witnessed the events mcdonald then recorded himself describing their meeting and the creepy details greenwood gave about his experience so sorry this might not be direct evidence if for some reason is mcdonald describing the interview greenwood told me the ufo was first brought to his attention by a hysterical child who ran ran into his classroom and told him there's a flying saucer outside, McDonald says on the recording. He thought this child had become deranged or something, so he didn't take any notice. But then the child insisted that this object was in the sky. He decided to go out and have a look for himself. When Greenwood went outside, he noticed a group of children looking towards the northeast area of the school grounds, and as he approached them, he claims he saw a UFO hovering close to the power lines. Greenwood described it as a round, silver object about the size of a car with a metal rod sticking up in the air. According to McDonald, Greenwood then told him that five planes came and surrounded the object as more people began gathering to watch the scene before them. Yeah, did we just get our answer? Okay. That doesn't mean that's what everybody described. That's the problem with especially how it's been described. Yeah, it does seem a little off too because the planes come and surround it, but it's like hovering. Yeah. So planes don't really do that. Okay, we're really confused about these objects. He called it the most 
amazing flying he had ever seen in his life. The planes were doing everything possible to approach the object, and he said how they all avoided a collision we will never know. Every time they got too close to the object, it would slowly accelerate, then rapidly accelerate, and then move away from them and stop. Then they would take off after it again, and the same thing would happen. This game of cat and mouse reportedly went on for about 20 minutes, and by this time, Greenwood said about 350 children and staff were watching on. Suddenly, the UFO shot away and vanished within seconds, and it was at this point that the headmaster came out and ordered everyone to go back to class. Greenwood claimed it was the headmaster that first tried to squash discussions of the incident. He gave the school a lecture and told the children they would be severely punished if they talked about this matter and told the staff they could lose their jobs if they mentioned it at all. And that's the best way to get kids to not talk about something, yeah. especially teenagers. Tell them don't. Tell them not. To. Yeah, because they stop. They will listen. They're rational children after yeah. all. <laughs> The teacher, Greenwood, claimed the headmaster was so scared and disturbed by the incident that he refused to come outside until the object was gone. When the Royal Australian Air Force contacted the headmaster, he told them to go and jump in a lake. There have been claims from several witnesses that sharply dressed men in black suits visited them and warned them (gasps) speaking about the incidents. Oh my god. This lines up with a few experiences Greenwood had when he tried to speak with other witnesses about what they saw. At the time of seeing the UFO, he was a complete skeptic himself. He has never even considered the possibility of their existence. When he asked the physical education teacher to describe what she had seen herself, so that he could compare it with his own observations, she just wouldn't say anything. Greenwood then reportedly spoke to one of the older students who described the event in great detail exactly as he had seen it. But when he spoke to her again half an hour later, she wouldn't say a word. Greenwood didn't think it had anything to do with the headmaster's threats as no one usually took him seriously and he knew for a fact that the student he spoke with didn't attend the meeting where he made the threats. This all came from a New York Post article. You can actually find more about Greenwood. I just kind of found that the most whole interview. And then I'm reading it right now. That's not actually his interview or him saying it. It's somebody interviewing him and then saying what he said in that interview. They're summarizing his words. Okay. Yeah. That's a little bit bizarre. But I don't like the New York Post articles. They definitely exaggerate a lot of things. But on UFOs, they actually do not a bad job. A little upset with how they did that. I also have a woman by the name of Terry Peck who's gone on record fairly recently with what happened. She was just 11 years old when she saw what she described as the flying saucer craft. Apparently this is before UFO was common terms because flying saucer craft is a terrible name. Terry was so close to the hovering craft she could feel its heat on her hands. I could feel heat and hear this buzzing sound. I could see purple lights all around it. I was quite stunned to see it because I didn't know what it was. It was like a classic what you see in stories about flying saucers. Terry said staff and students were told not to talk about the incident at a later school assembly, that it was rubbish and we weren't to talk about it. Despite the number of people who saw the flying discs, no government agency has provided an official explanation for what they witnessed. 55 years on, they had a reunion for people that had witnessed it. And there was actually like a few dozen people that showed up and they all talked about it again. Oh, they do talk about it. I was like, do they not talk about it because they weren't allowed? No, like eventually, I think they thought the statute of limitations was over or something. So Okay, so they were rational about it. Okay. It just beggars belief for me. In Australia, we've never had an official investigation and flatly, I think there has been a cover up. I think someone has buried the Department of Supply report, which I know exists. What really strikes me is that 55 years on, these people are very certain about what they saw, Greenwood said. The city of Kingston, which is right near where Westall is, to commemorate what took place, it created a children's play space in the Grange Reserve UFO Park at the Grange Reserve in Clayton, South Melway. That's so nice. The park features a silver UFO with red slides to reflect the 1966 Westall UFO incident. So it has become somewhat of like a local attraction if you will or at least like part of the pop culture of the area so what exactly was witnessed it's really hard to say for sure but there is actually what i consider a pretty darn good explanation here if you don't want to believe ufo so if you want to believe ufo cover your ears for like two minutes and then just listen to us say it's a ufo for sure okay i i'm gonna have to leave for this part (laughs) 
According to Keith Basterfield, a runaway balloon from the HIBAL, High Altitude Balloon Project, used to monitor radiation levels after British nuclear test Maralinga is a likely explanation. I had to look this up, what Maralinga is. It's where the UK did all of its nuclear bomb testing during the Cold War. So they dropped about seven massive nuclear bombs there and did about 600 tests in total of nuclear weapons. Mm. In 1963, they started surveying it to actually see the damage that was done during these tests and in 1967 they began cleanup of the area basterfield located documents in the national archives and former department of supply indicating a test balloon launched from mildura may have been blown off course and came down in clayton south in a paddock near westall high school alarming and baffling hundreds of eyewitnesses including teachers and students Basterfield said HIBAL balloons had a white silver appearance and featured a parachute and gas tube trailing from the top, mm. which is consistent with witnesses' descriptions of the objects. Right. There were also reports that after the incident, men in suits cautioned witnesses not to discuss details of the secret government exercise. Hold on. Did the government itself have men in black? I think men in black more or less a colloquial term for government official a lot of the time. I guess so. Makes sense. According to a skeptic, Brian Dunning, who I'm not a huge fan of overall, but he's in the Wikipedia article, so I think I should just give his quote. The weather balloon is a likely explanation for the first half of the event. Dunning suggested a nylon target drove like a windsock towed by one plane or the others to chase and known to be in use by the local RAAF at the time was at least one very reasonable possibility for the second half. Dunning added as years have passed descriptions of what was actually seen have now become diluted with made up descriptions by an unknown number of students who didn't see anything. And there's no way to know which is which. So basically what would have happened is they were running tests through weather balloons to see where the nuclear radiation was drifting to. Based on that, one of those weather balloons drifted a little too far, came down, landed, the government found out where it landed, came and fixed it, got it up in the air would be kind of the best explanation of what happened. And of course, nobody really wanted to talk about it at the time that they're testing for radiation. So they kind of forbid anybody from talking about it, which kind of seems reasonable as an explanation. Yeah, I guess so. What was the headmaster's deal? Headmaster's deal? He knew it was aliens. Yeah. Knew straight up. like he did. Because he was like, nobody talk about this. But then he was testing them and he'd be like, hey, what do you know about this? What do you remember? Then they're too afraid. They thought it was a test. I wouldn't. I think you're getting the two guys confused. Greenwood wasn't the headmaster. He was the one trying to talk to everybody. Oh, I am getting them confused. But still, it does follow a few things that occur in other ufo sightings like the circular like burn marks where it came down radiating heat off of it and moving in ways that normal aircrafts usually don't although to be fair weather balloons don't move like normal planes either they just go up but this thing didn't just go up either or with the wind yeah and at the end of the day i believe this is still unexplained and therefore we will deem this a ufo we will we must and chelsea any questions no i've been asking them as we've gone and yeah Maralinga area i ended up looking it up they finally started cleaning the land for good like actually doing it right in the year 2000 yeah it's still probably no good yeah and there was aboriginal groups that were living in that area oh, no. and they had to get moved and yeah they suffered drastically government ended up paying about 13 million Ugh, i hate that i hate those things. yeah i actually had to look this up because i could have sworn there's another secret place or there was something secret in Australia that I remember learning about, but that's Pine Gap and Pine Gap something else. Do we have to add this to the list? Yeah, you should add Pine Gap to the list. Pine, like the tree? Yeah. Gap, like mine the gap? Yeah. Okay, added. Perfect. And yeah, that's the Westall UFO sighting. To this day, still technically unexplained, although the further away we get from it, probably the less likely we are to get an explanation. It will continue to be unexplained for all time. Okay, my turn. I'm going to be talking about the Rua UFO incident, which is one of the most compelling UFO cases there is in history ever. While skeptics like to cite mass hysteria at work or even a prank, the evidence says otherwise. On a June 2021 episode of the BBC's Witness History, the event was described as one of the most significant events in UFO history. We do a lot of traveling in this podcast, and on this episode, I'm going to ask everyone to astral project themselves to a specific time and place. Let's all do it together. The target slash 
place is going to be the Ariel School in Rua, Zimbabwe, which is a small agricultural center located about 22 kilometers southeast of Harare, the capital of Zimbabwe. Rua is not so much a town so much as an agricultural area, which we're familiar with. That's kind of where we're from, Taylor and I, an agricultural area, not really a town. May or may not also be worth noting that the Ariel School is an expensive private school, not just a public school it's like in the middle of nowhere and people pay wearing uniforms so it's stuff. not just any kids rich kids yeah so it is worth noting the time that we're going september 16th 1994 10 a.m sharp so what are we seeing as we're astral projecting ourselves to this time and place you're very likely to be seeing the exact same events as about 61 other children not including yourself we are just there in spirit while we're outside playing among the it's about i see varying accounts 150 to 200 students playing outside at this school and if you can do math you will realize not all the kids outside at recess had an encounter that day this incident takes place to 62 pupils between the ages of 6 and 12 on their recess break which was what we are seeing is one or more aircraft descending from the sky and landing in an area just beyond the school's playing field, which has long grass, indigenous bushes, and trees growing. I like this quote. Higgledy piggledy fashion. <laughs> Never heard that before. I do think a lot of the kids at the school are British, just based on the interviews that I watched. And one or more creatures, depending on the witness, dressed in black approach the children. And since we're there, these creatures are telepathic communicating with you because we're there astrally projecting ourselves can you telecommunicate with an astral projection no but i'm just pretending like you could because this is okay. important to the story i just need to check <laughs> at least i don't think so I'd, i've never heard of someone being like they were doing telepathy at this point never heard of that what i'm telling you that we're experiencing is these creatures are telepathically communicating with you them the kids maybe you maybe that's how we know the aliens are an advanced life form that could be telepathically communicating with astral projectors let's go with that one so what you're getting is an environmental theme something along the lines of get your shit together because you're destroying the earth and i do assume that these aliens also have trucker mouth now that we've all been witness to the incident, let's back up a little for some important information. September 14th, 1994, that's two days prior to us astral projecting to the school. There are numerous sightings happening around Southern Africa, including an account taken by a local UFO researcher of a trucker who had seen strange beings on the road at night. That's all I wrote down. Don't ask for anything more from that. There were a lot of sightings. That just what is what I chose to put there for time's sake. And now that you know that important information, let's talk about what went down with what we witnessed in this incident of alien proportions, which in its entirety lasts around 15 minutes. All the faculty, faculty, were apparently inside, not apparently, they were inside having a meeting during this time. So that's where all the adults were. There, however, was an adult close by, kind of, who was referred to as a tuck shop mistress. And I had <laughs> tuck shop mistress. Okay. Had to look into what that is. Turns out it's like a deli shop type thing that serves students food and moms of the school rotate working in this tuck shop. And they call them the mistress of the yes. tuck shop if you're working that day? Yes. Not sure why. No idea. Not the first image that came to mind when they said that. I'm going to be honest. So there, we've clarified. They're the first kind of to be... She, one mom that's working that day, was on duty. And she was kind of the first to be flooded with kids coming into the tuck shop to tell her that they just saw an alien. It's an awkward thing to broach when you've just seen an alien. As you could imagine, you're like, who do I tell? What do I tell? them but the mom is not convinced and she doesn't leave the tuck shop when the kids come back got yeah. lots of mistressing to do in there yeah plus she wasn't that concerned who would be <laughs> yeah sure go away when the kids come back from recess telling wild stories
stories about the encounter they had outside. They were pretty much dismissed by the teachers inside. Not pretty much. They were definitely dismissed. Nobody wanted to listen to the kids. They are like, yeah, yeah. So being dismissed by their teachers, they tell their parents when they arrive home. That's something different from the usual what I get when my kid gets home. And it's usually just like, I don't know what happened at school today. And it's just like nothing even happened. Parents again, were immediately weirded out that the kid actually had something to tell them about. They actually recalled something and they're like, something's not right here. So they actually show up at the school the next day and demand answers. With the uproar, it was picked up by the media, including the ZBC radio. And that's where local UFO reporter Cynthia Hind, who is the African representative for MUFON, learns about it and she shows up the school to interview the kids. And that for sure wouldn't be allowed to happen these days. Just like, hello, here is my important UFO business. Please let me talk to the kids. And they're like, sure, come right in. That would never happen. I'm pretty sure. It might still be the case in Zimbabwe. I haven't looked into their life. True. And it might still be the case at my kid's school, to be honest with you. He doesn't tell you. Yeah, he's full of I don't know. Cynthia shows up on the scene and she gets the kids to draw pictures of what they witnessed. And I'm going to put these up on, not all of them. There's a lot. I'm going to put some of these up on the social medias. I'm definitely not going to share it now in fear of losing this entire episode, Craig. Fair. I'm watching you. And this really becomes a media sensation. Rightfully so. The BBC's correspondents in Zimbabwe, Mukele Mbembe. Just kidding. The Mukele Mbembe? <laughs> yeah, just wanted to see if you were paying attention. His real name is Tim Lee. He visits the school on September 19th, four days after the initial incident, to interview the students. And his comment on the situation was that he could handle war zones, but he could not handle this. I know. Was it the kids constantly asking? stupid question. It probably was. I didn't have to put that quote in here, but I did put it in here. Tim's here just to say that quote and do some interviews. Eventually, John Mack shows up on the scene. The late John Mack, just to talk a little bit about what he's about. He was a tenured Harvard University professor who liked to investigate UFOs, particularly in regards to the abduction phenomenon. He is a tenured professor. He was also department head at Harvard Medical School, specializing in child psychiatry. And at one point, he wrote a book called The Prince of Our Disorder, which he won a Pulitzer Prize for. And he was also a key speaker in a group that was aimed towards disarming nuclear weapons worldwide. That group received a Nobel Peace Prize for that. So I just want to say what kind of guy this is that came in to investigate this. Between the interviews of Leach, who said that about the war zones, he was terrified. He stuck around, though, through that PTSD. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And Mac. A total of 62 children claim to have seen at least one UFO. I know it took me forever to get to this point in what I'm talking about, but now I'm going to get into the details of all the kids who had a sighting. I always make you wait for it. I always got to circle around for it. Talk about some other stuff, then come back to it. Basically, all the kids' experiences were consistent, telling the same story. However, some of the details did vary a bit, and we can theorize why after. Because children lie constantly. (laughs) Yes, they do. They do. As I mentioned at the beginning, we are astral projecting in a field in the schoolyard. Hope you made it to the right schoolyard. I really do. And when we spot what are being described as discs hovering in the distance beyond the edge of the schoolyard over a field of brush and small trees. That's what we've seen. I think I just described it oddly, but that's what we're seeing. It's unclear the amount of UFOs there were as some kids recalled only seeing one while other kids reported seeing multiple up to three discs. The UFO was drawn and described as a large silver disc with bright lights and a red stripe around it emitting a golden glow slash light which according to some kids it was so bright that it hurt their eyes. One little girl describes it as a yellowy floating pencil which is very shiny shiny and narrow. Some kids recall that there is a blinking light on the back of the UFO, and some children said that there were smaller silver balls that came down as well, which is what I'm also thinking is probably why they said there is multiple UFOs. I'm not sure. They slash it, the object, then disappears, reappears a couple seconds later, kind of like teleporting around the sky, and eventually the craft floats down closer to the ground, never officially landing. Some kids report a 
silver flashing from around the trees by the object. And the craft is making a humming sound, which one little girl reports sounded like someone playing the flute and it scared her. At this point, many of the kids ran, but some, mostly older kids, stayed and watched the approach as they were curious. The kids that were not afraid of flutes? Yeah, either that or they didn't want to go back into class. Yeah, that's fair. They already got yelled at by the mistress today. Yeah. So between one and four creatures emerge from the craft and are witnessed running around the brushland and are described as being thin, dressed in tight black suits, big eyes, no nose, just small nostrils and large eyes. A lot of the kids described them as having like long black hair. Super weird detail. All the kids just refer to the gray type. It's a gray type looking alien. They are referring to him as the man. I've never heard the grays described as having hair. Same. And none of the drawings from the kids have this creature having hair, but I have it in an interview. We're going to play, whether you play it before this or after this, just edit this to make it sound like I said the right one. Swimming around down there. So I went down to see what was happening. And I actually saw this craft in the trees. And it was like in a Milky Way pattern on it, on it like silver and green and that sort of colors um and then there was this little boy crying so i went up to him to see what was wrong with him and he said he's, he was quite afraid of it and then um that actually made me quite afraid of it because when somebody's afraid i get afraid and then um i saw this person and his his eyes were like in a slant like say like so and his mouth was just like a line like this and then at the at the time the teachers were in a staff meeting so um, nobody actually went up to go and call the teachers because I think they were too afraid and everything. So when, when the bell rang, because somebody eventually went up, one of the prefects went and said to um, one of our teachers, Mr. Vernon, please could we, um, can you ring the bell because there's quite a bit of a performance down there with all the kids running around. And then somebody from BBC um, came to us and he, went for a walk down there with us, with a guide account. And actually on that piece of metal over there, we, we could stand up on it and you could actually see a few burn marks. So he asked us when we were walking down there with him, he said, please could you come down with us to go and have a look at the things. So when we, we walked about, if there's about six poles, and if you have a look, one, two, three, four, five, six, there were um, burn marks actually on the ground. Um, and then the hills there on the rock, the, the day that it happened, there was something glittering, like quite strongly. And then we, when we came back to school the next day, it was just gone. And also, when we went down with them, the burn marks were just gone, that's like a few minutes later. How long did you observe this whole happening? I think it was about five and a half minutes when we went down there, because it was actually quite scary. None of the pictures that are drawn show it with long hair. It's super strange. It's just a strange detail. I've never seen an alien having like long black hair. They never refer to this creature as an alien. They are referring to him as the man in everything I've heard. They slash it exited a craft and approached the children as we saw happen when we we're astral projecting. Some of the kids report that they were stuck in a trance and they couldn't move. A few girls described a dark shadowy figure screaming near the craft describe to look as if it was running in slow motion there's like a time thing happening you see it appearing and disappearing and you see the creatures acting strange there's some sort of time distortion a quote from one of the child witnesses we saw something silver and then we quickly ran to the logs and we saw a silver thing and we saw a man standing next to it i felt scared when he was looking at me because i've never seen such a person like that before and his eyes were scary because they looked evil because it was just staring at me as if it wanted to come and take us. Totally different child witness here. Quote, one was running across the trees and another was running across the ship on top of the object. The eyes were pointed as they came in towards the center. It's like describing the how they're like long and come in like kind of eye drop shape. I looked at him and he looked at me and he gave me the creeps. Another boy describes what he described as little men coming out of the craft. People like with weird features, huge eyes, and no lips. 
The kids all report that the eyes stood out the most. A little girl says when she saw the creatures, it was so unsettling she had to look away. It was just staring. We were trying not to look at him because he was scary. My eyes and feelings went with him. Weird comment. Another witness named Guy says... I could see the little man, about a meter tall, was dressed in black, shiny suit, that he had long black hair, and his eyes, which seemed lower on the cheek than our eyes, were large and elongated. The mouth was just a slit and the ears were hardly discernible. It's so crazy. There's so it's, it's such a detailed sighting because of how many freaking kids there were. This is like two elementary school classes that witnessed this. So I'm just curious, when did these kids give the interview or give all these interviews? Was it like fairly close to the event? These are compiled through a series of three different people were interviewing. In total, they they interviewed 62 kids. The original, you actually asked me one that I knew. The original interviews were given by, what's her name? Cynthia, Cynthia Hind, which is the MUFON one. She's the first one that showed up and she literally the next day started interviewing the kids. Okay. ABC guy comes in maybe a couple days later. John Matt comes in a little bit later. He probably comes in a couple weeks later. Don't quote me on that, but he comes in a lot later than the other two. I just wanted to confirm that because the words these kids are using to describe what they've seen don't necessarily match up with an elementary school education level. Uh, although I do get it, they're rich kids. But yes. like, I just don't picture an elementary student saying elongated. Yeah, and to that... I almost feel like they're being directed a little bit. I don't know, I'm, and I'm gonna get you to play. I've specifically taken out a few ones that I want us to play on this. I'm not sure that I come from the same background as someone who's paying for a private school in Zimbabwe. So they very might, and the ones that are saying these bigger words are older kids. Okay. They're probably on the older scale of this. Not that I would be saying along. I don't even say elongated now, to be honest with you. Unless I was pressed to come up with that word. And they're like hinting for it to be that word, if you know what I mean. There is some stuff out there with skeptics about... All the children are, they're not all interviewed together, but they're not interviewed on their own. You mean like the parents there? No, they're interviewed with the other kids. Oh, okay. So they're never like one-on-one -on -one interviews trying to figure this out. They're kind of in a group of kids. They're never just like a one-on-one -on -one interview with the interviewer. So there is talk of the kids being led in that way. The other thing, just so we're not holding anything back here, is... Telepathy doesn't come up until John Mack comes in and interviews the kids. So do with that information what you will. Well, maybe it was just delayed telepathy. They didn't pay for the high-speed telepathy. So Well, it's super weird because a lot of the kids say that they didn't really... It wasn't until they got home that they started getting these weird feelings about the environment and what they started talking about. It wasn't like there was an immediate transaction. It wasn't until they felt it until it's super weird some of them said that they got pictures some of them it's super weird about the telepathy i'm going to continue so according to Max's work the creatures telepathically communicated to the children an environmental message and then returned to the aircraft in max interviews one fifth grader tells how he was warned about some things that are going to happen and that pollution mustn't be another child said that the world was going to end and felt like she should be scared and that she felt horrible inside when she got home. And it was like the world, all the trees would just go down and there will be no air and people will be dying. She had not had thoughts like this prior to the experience. These thoughts came from the man. He didn't say anything, just from the face, the eyes. He was interested. An 11-year-old girl told Mac, I think they want people to know that we're actually making harm on this world and we mustn't get to technology. The other thing that's super weird is they all seem to get different messages. Like they're all like themed the same, but they're all like, I don't know how telepathy works. The words that they actually knew how to describe what they got, I think changed from child to child. Yeah, maybe telepathy is not so much like having a sentence appear in your head. It's like an idea. One child said- Because you'd have them to speak the same language people get sentences true that's so true 
Okay, didn't think of that. I know personally, if I had personal knowledge of like impending global doom due to climate change and uh, waste, I would definitely take it to elementary students in Zimbabwe. That's something that comes up a lot. Like why these kids? Let me just sing this last sentence. One child said that he was told the world would end because they're not taking care of the planet. So the beings were pretty telepathically chatty. Okay, so that came up a lot. Like why these kids? Like going to school, like in broad daylight. Like there's never any daylight sightings. There's people that say it was just like an opportunity that it presented itself at that time. There's other people that say like what better place if you have like an environmental message to give than kids. Because they're pretty like impressionable, right? They are, but they don't really have any power for at least another decade. No. And maybe that's what they're going for. Because look at us now. We've done nothing. <laughs> You've done nothing and we've made it worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely a question I saw come up a lot was like, why? Why? Like, why kids? They can't do anything. Yeah. I, I got no answers to it. So. Yeah. But at the same time, most UFO sightings, or at least when there's communication between UFOs and the people, the interactions make no sense. They consistently seem to lie, and they consistently just seem random and bizarre. Yeah, this is a totally bizarre event and experience encounter with these beings. Totally bizarre. And I mean, we know nothing about these types of creatures. They could absolutely be lying. They could be telling the truth, but who the fuck knows what they're doing? They're like, one of the kids calls him that he looks like a hippie with his long black hair which is what i was just gonna say like they're hippies with their long black hair and their global warming issues yeah just like showing up to these kids like they are probably lying we don't know we are seeing environmental issues happening now so i mean i guess they were right about that but like this sighting is just totally broad daylight like that never happens 62 witnesses just like totally bizarre it's a, a bizarre encounter and this is why they call it like one of the greatest ufo sightings that's happened plus all the witnesses are kids everyone's like yeah yeah like get out of here no one wants to hear this so after this the craft either faded away flew away or just disappeared depending on what kid you're talking to john matt concludes that this was genuine the kids are telling the truth and the aliens did in fact visit he knows the kids are genuine and that they're of sound mind no mass hysteria or anything anything. Remember, this guy is a professor of psychology specializing in kids psychiatry at Harvard. So he's not just some guy that shows up without any training. He's trained to know if the kids are being genuine in their genuine in their sighting or not there's recordings of him saying why he thinks that which is a lot more in depth than what i just said and i mean to account for the amount of beings that were reported and kind of like why a couple of ufos were reported and some said just one the amount of beings or stuff like that in my opinion one being the point of view of some of the kids there was a lot of kids there and even if you listen Listen to the interview some kids came after they realized there was a commotion so they missed out on some stuff and then they come in there at the back of a crowd of like 60 kids so they're seeing it from a different point of view than the kid who originally spotted it and saw the whole thing John Mack accounts for it being that you know you see a terrifying creature there coming towards you and you're only focused on one being not you know one in the foreground or something like that so you totally that there's more than one being. It was a terrifying experience for a lot yeah, of these kids. Yeah, especially like if the kids up front are focused down on the one right in front of them, they're going to miss that one that's like dancing on top of the UFO for some reason. I think it's pretty cool how detailed the whole thing is when you take all the kids' quotes from what have happened. Point of the matter is that these kids had no reason to lie and to commit so fully to this lie and with no prior exposure to UFOs. Probably, we don't know that for sure and to the concept of aliens and ufos that all the kids kind of stuck with their story the whole time so these kids are all actually about our age now and there are interviews with them as adults speaking about it some of them say they have grown from it others say that it ruined their life and not 
one of the witnesses has come forward to say that it was a prank or made up or otherwise. Nobody's really changed their stories. In the 2014 Mail and Guardian, one of the witnesses spoke and they said that she fears the creatures will return and that she can sense when they are back in the atmosphere. There's just really weird statements like that. She can sense when they're back in the atmosphere. There's another quote from a little kid that said, what did she say? She said something about, I went with it. Oh, the one where she, it took her eyes? Yeah, it didn't take her eyes. It said, my feelings went with him right there. Yeah. My feelings went with him. It was super, just a super weird statement. Here's one last quote. Witness Emily recalled in 2015, quote, we heard a high pitched frequency sound and we saw a flash and a craft. It's really hard to describe time at this point. All I can tell you is that two beings were hopping along the side. They were curious, almost like mimicking us and all of a sudden they were in front of us within arm's reach. We were frozen. Telepathic images started going across my face. Communication through the eyes. That's all I could really describe it as. Image after image. One of the other girls standing beside me got more communication about the environment. My communication was more about technology that exists. The positive and negative uses of technology. I'll never forget that day. And that's all I have. And I don't think I actually have anything to add because we kind of went over it while we were discussing it. Yeah, same with your encounter. I think it's really cool. I think it's genuine. I think, especially with UFO encounters, things that are really weird that you can't describe in terms of living a normal life on Earth, like my feelings went with him, or just like I can sense when they're back. Like that doesn't make sense to say in a normal encounter, or where like people are like kind of popping in and out of reality, where you're trying to like picture what they're seeing and they can't find the words. Do you know what I'm saying? They don't know the words yeah. to describe what they were seeing. Especially, I think yeah, that when just, they're that young, yeah. Yeah, I think it just lends to the authenticity where maybe if an adult had that encounter and they saw those things and felt those things, they would skip over it because they didn't know how to put it into words that fit in this reality. So I think it leads a lot to the authenticity of it. Overall, I give it a 10 out of 10. I think this happened and I liked it. And I have things to share that are going to be saved for social media that I can't share on my screen right now because we don't want to mess with Craig. <laughs> social media will be packed on this one. Yeah. Because there's a lot of pictures. Yeah. yeah, that is an interesting point too. Just like the social construct that restricts adults from really truly expressing what's going on uh, isn't here. So they can really say, they will say whatever they want. Like we know kids are terrible yeah. with filters. And it's, it's like, like I said, exactly. Like you see something that doesn't fit into this reality. I mean, you're already having an alien encounter. Like I'm not going to try and describe something. I, I can barely find the words to describe when it's already a weird thing. So I really liked it. I think there's a lot of weird things happening. I like that. And yeah, there's no reason for these kids to be lying really to me. Like there's too many of them. They couldn't keep it straight. That's a fair point. But with that, we have been Journey to the Fringe reminding you that clearly your school days were just filled with boredom compared I to I already these. knew that. <laughs> Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. If you have liked what you have listened to, please like, share, subscribe, or follow, depending on what venue you are listening to us through. Also, please, if possible, leave a five-star review as that really helps us in the algorithms. Should you wish to interact with us, please check us out on your social media of choice. I bet you we are there. And if you really want to communicate with us and give us ideas for new episodes or tell us that we're wrong and terrible, either way, please send us an email at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. For now, I'll see you in the next episode.